Welcome to church. Maybe you're new to church and you're wondering, what is going on here with this sermon series? Well, we are excited because we're in week number four of a church that won't be suck, and we're excited that you're here to experience that with us. And if you're not from D.C. and you're not an area sports fan especially, you, um, you might not know that a year ago, our beloved Washington National, or Cap- Capitals, I said it wrong. Here I am, introing the series. Um, our Capitals won the Stanley Cup, right? And in, in projecting what kind of season they would have, uh, our star player, Alex Ovechkin, said, we will not be suck in his amazing Russian broken accent, right? Love him, pray for him every week, don't we? And um, that projection became their big repeatable for the whole season, right? That, that was their repeatable. And so we said, hey, if a team can declare that over their team, then we can declare that over our church, right? And uh, invite our family, invite our friends, and, and talk about who we are as a community and what we believe God is building right here at Citizen Heights. So help me real quick just to say goodbye to all of our kiddos as they head downstairs. We have a great group of leaders, a great team downstairs ready to hang with your kids and give them Jesus as a, at an age-appropriate level for them with lots of fun. Awesome. The rest of us, I know that God has something just for you this morning. Do you believe that? Our big, amazing, loving, good God who knows each and every one of us right down to the number of hairs on our head, ever decreasing depending upon your age. <laughs> he knows you and he knows just what you need. And if we'll trust him enough this morning, I believe he's going to put something just for you right inside your spirit in the context of this message that I believe he's prepared. So I love this series because it's all about our non-negotiables as a church. Anyone here have non-negotiables? Any single people have a non-negotiables list about that person that you're looking for? There's no lying in church. You need to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand with confidence and say, yes, I have a list of non-negotiables. It's okay to have a list of non-negotiables because it's good to know what you're not going to move forward without. It's good to know what your values are. It's good to know what you value. How many married people here are sitting next to your personified non-negotiable list? There we go. All right. (laughs) All right. Maybe a little lying in church, but okay. Well, this morning I want to talk to you and continue with you on this non-negotiables list of a church that won't be suck. We uh, talked about week one, a people-loving church. This is who we are. We're going to love people. We're going to love people right where they are and believe that God is going to bring them all the way to where he wants them to be. Week two, a Bible-centered church. It's so important that we build our lives on the rock of the Word of God. It keeps us steady in times of storms and seasons of hardship, and it keeps us unified as a community. So a Bible-centered church. And then a purpose-minded church. Last week was amazing as we listened to a purpose-minded church. Pastor Ashley, uh, campus pastor for our Fairfax campus, was here, and she shared with us this amazing message. If you missed it, you need to go on our website or download the app, and you can listen to all of these incredible messages of our non-negotiables. This week, we're going to talk about a forgive-at-all-cost church. You know, we should be a forgive-at-all-cost church because we serve a God who forgives at all costs. We know that, right? Because he gave his very life 
for you and I. And it's so sad to me that so often coming into church, people are bracing themselves, wondering what they're going to find, waiting for the next shoe to drop, as they say, because they're not used to church being a safe place where they're going to experience love, where they're going to get teaching that is going to be good and applicable and relevant to their everyday life, where they're going to encounter a God who is patient and long-suffering. Do you know that God is patient and long-suffering? That he gives each and every one of us the gift of time so we can walk our journey together, but also individually at our own pace without judgment. You know, we believe in forgive at all costs kind of church, kind of atmosphere that cultivates something that is so healthy. How many of you know you cannot have a marriage with longevity if you're not a forgive at all costs person? Yes. Raise your hand even if you're newly married. You need to be all in. (laughs) A forgive at all costs marriage. Forgive at all costs, this, this habit of forgiveness, this culture of forgiveness brings health, brings growth, brings longevity into our lives, and it's such a good thing. So we're going to look at that today. I want to invite you right now to open your Bibles with me to Colossians 1, verse 12 through 14. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, so if you don't have that with you or on your device, I would invite you just to check it out on the screens. But um, you can take notes in the app if you are looking to do that or with some old-fashioned paper and a pen. Okay, Colossians chapter 1 says this, Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. You know God made you worthy this morning? Isn't that good? He has rescued us completely. Say completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For in the son, all our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Today, I want to talk to us about this concept of forgiveness. As we cultivate an environment here where we are a church where everyone has a shot, every person has a spot, we must It is a non-negotiable that we understand this concept of forgiveness and the the entirety of it and exactly what God is talking about when he says, I came to forgive, I came to save, I gave my one and only son that whoever would believe in me would not perish but have everlasting life. I said a moment ago, it's sad to think that oftentimes when we think about church, we think about a place of shame or a place of judgment, a place of hypocrisy, a place where we have to put on something that we're really not in order to make it through the door. When really what we see in the Bible is God is inviting us to come as we are and to accept this beautiful and amazing gift of his complete forgiveness. And I want to look for just a few moments. What does the forgiveness of God really look like? What does the forgiveness of God really do for my life so we can fully understand exactly what we have said yes to. Or maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're new to your faith. What a great day to be in church for you because you're going to get to hear exactly what is available to you for free this morning, a God that loves you so much. 
the forgiveness of God is, is an amazing thing. It's a complete thing. It covers every, um, all of your past, all of your present, and goes before you into your future. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me, people would find life. He says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden. Have you ever heard that one? Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus didn't come for the perfect and those who have it all together. I don't actually know anyone like that. At least nobody in our church. No offense. He came for all of us, right? And we carry our past. We carry our sin. We carry our shame. We can't carry the things that we experience, our life experiences with us. And it is only in Christ that we can find freedom from those negative things that want to hold us back. I want to give you a quick theology statement on forgiveness. You ready? Sometimes we come into church and we don't really know the whole context of the Bible. We don't understand, okay, so why did Jesus have to die? At the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, the very first sin, sin entered the world and God made a rule that in order to forgive sin, blood must be shed. So God set up a, a set of rules, a list of things that the people, that his people had to live by in order to be in relationship with him, in order to cover their sin and maintain their That would eventually cover the sin of all, of all of us, right? Of all the world, of all God's children. So that we could all have access to that relationship with him. And so through f- the forgiveness of God, this word forgiveness we see in the Bible, we experience three different things. And I want to show you in 1 Corinthians how God describes these three different things that are that are kind of parts of God's forgiveness. The forgiveness of God in 1 Corinthians 6, 11 is kind of unpacked like this. It says, it's true that some of you once lived in those sinful lifestyles, but now you have been purified from sin. You have been made holy and given a perfect standing before God. All because of the power of the name of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and through our union with the Spirit of God. So God is acknowledging here that at one time we lived in this sinful, hard lifestyle, but through Jesus we experience purification from sin, we are made holy, and we are given a perfect standing before God. Aren't you glad this morning? Aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Because it's not because of my effort. It's not because of my best effort or my, my trying hard. It's because of the Messiah, the Son of God. So here we have these three things. The first one is we are redeemed. This is all contained in this topic of forgiveness. We are redeemed. We are purified from sin. 
Ephesians 1.7 says, says it simply this, since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. The cascading riches of his grace. This term redeem means to buy out. Means to buy out. It means that we were once born slaves of sin. You don't, may not know that when you were born into this world, but you were born with a sinful nature. That's why I didn't have to teach any of my four boys now or mine or punch each other in the face, whatever it is that your kids did or didn't do to each other. I don't have to teach that to them, right? It's already in us. That nature is already in us. And God knew that. So he created a way through Jesus for us to find full redemption. Aren't you glad? Total cancellation of our sin. But we were born actually slaves of sin. So there's things in our lives that we need to walk out through the forgiveness of God to find freedom. He says, the second thing here in 1 Corinthians says that we're sanctified. We're made holy. We're actually made holy. We, th now, this is the process word within forgiveness. This process of sanctification, what does that even mean? That means as I walk with God, as I read my Bible and I pray and I engage and connect in community and I listen to the voice of God and I worship and I learn, we're not supposed to be like this day one. Do you understand? Church has flipped the funnel, and instead of creating a wide space for everyone to come in and allow God to transform their lives, we've turned it on its end, and we've said, you only get in if you're already perfect. Well, that's not even a real thing. That's not even a thing. We are all coming. God has room for everyone to come. And we don't change because a person changes us. We don't change because we work hard at it. We don't change because we isolate ourselves from everything else in this world. No, God says be in the world, but don't be of it. Be in the world, but have me inside of you so that I can transform you from the inside out into the person, into the people, into the church that I've called you to be. It's this process of sanctification. The third thing is we're given a perfect standing before God, and that is justification. Justification. Romans 3.24 says this, Yet through the, his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. Do you know that our righteousness, our trying hard, our religious practices and traditions and our work is just filthy rags to God. I hope I'm not offending you this morning. Compared to his righteousness, our best effort is just a pile of garbage. But God gives his righteousness to us freely as part of his forgiveness. It's justification. It's, it's amazing. His gift of love and favor now cascades over all of us, not just a few of us, over all of us because of Jesus, the anointed one. He has liberated us from guilt, punishment, and power of sin. Aren't you thankful that God is thorough? He thought of everything, not just the guilt, not just the future punishment, but even the power that holds you as you walk in your day-to-day -day life, power to walk out of that thing that you feel is holding you back, power to walk out of that habit, power to walk out of that place of bondage. That's what we get through justification. It's easy to remember because it kind of sounds like the word, it's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. 
It's an easy way to remember. So when Jesus died on the cross, he left no room for question, no space for doubt. He annihilated sin and death. And his forgiveness for you and I is complete. Amen? In order for us to be the church we're called to be, we have to understand what we have in him. The next thing I want to talk to you about under the forgiveness of God is really just how we walk out the knowledge that I just gave you. Sometimes it's hard to take what we know about God and really allow it to sink into here. That's where faith comes in. What I know that I just told you, that you are forgiven, you are sanctified, you are justified. Now we have to let that knowledge take hold of it by faith, and allow it to get into our hearts. Because this is where we be begin to forgive myself. You forgive yourself. We begin to get on a journey of this freedom in forgiveness that we hear about in church and in the Bible. I want to read to you in John eight thirty six. It says, so if the Son sets you free from sin, where the context is from sin through forgiveness... Then, he's giving us some orders now, ready? It says, then, become a true son and daughter and be unquestionably free. Anybody here want to be unquestionably free? Anybody here have moments where they question their true freedom and, 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 and you feel bits of shame, bits of guilt, your past creeps in here and there? The Bible says he came so that we could be unquestionably free. So there wasn't a doubt in our mind as we walk this out. And it's so amazing how we walk our day to day and we know that God has forgiven us. But the problem is God says he forgets, right? He throws our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's an infinite space. That means he can't remember it. I wish I had that ability. Don't you wish you had that ability <laughs> to wipe it out? But we carry the memories. We carry the guilt. We carry the shame. Let me challenge your thoughts right now. When you elevate your sin as too big for the cross of Jesus, as too much for the blood of Christ, it's actually a form of idolatry where you're elevating your sin above the amazing, thorough, and complete blood of Jesus, the life that he lived and, and the perfect life that he lived and then died for you and for me. I want to read to you this verse that challenges me. Paul wrote this. He said in Philippians 3, 12 through 13, he says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that God has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Remember, we're talking about forgiving myself. He says, I don't depend on my strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future ahead. I love this because you know what? Some of us here have a past. All of us here have a past. Some of us here struggle with letting go of that past. I'm comforted that Paul, who God used in big and amazing ways, was vulnerable enough to say, listen, right before he wrote this scripture, he listed out all of his educational or accomplishments. He also got really vulnerable and shared how 
He had held the coats of the people who had killed Christians for years. Those Christians' blood were on his conscience. They were on his mind. Paul had a past. I don't know what your past is today, but Paul had a past, and he is admonishing us. Not that we have it all together. Anyone here have it all together? No. Not that I have it all together, but listen to me. I do have one compelling focus, and this is your homework assignment this week. Make this your one compelling focus. Forget all of the past and fasten your heart on the future that you know God has for you. Do you know that God has a future and a purpose and a plan for you? And the enemy wants to rob you of that. But if you fasten your heart on that, you know there's not going to be room for the enemy's lies. There's not going to be room for the enemy's reminders. There's not going to be any playtime for those old videos and those old things that you rehearse in your mind and remember. God, he, Jesus already died. He already gave his life. And let me tell you something today. He's already won the victory over sin and death. His, his sacrifice was complete so that you could live free. But here's the thing, the enemy, you have a real enemy. He's not very powerful, but he does have a couple tricky tools, tricky things that he likes to use to try and get us down, to try to hold us back. One of those things is he accuses us. He reminds us of the old us, of the bad things. And he tries to take that heavy burden that we left at the altar or that we let go of at the cross, or the thing that we left this morning in prayer before we left the house. He tries to put it back on us. He tries to throw it, throw us at it, throw it at us quickly. You ever have someone toss something to you and you just reflex as you catch it? He tries to play these tricky games with us. It's accusation. Because here's the thing. Your enemy knows how this is all going to end. He already read the whole Bible. He knows that he's doomed. He's just trying to take as many of us down with him as possible. He's just trying to, if he can deceive you enough, if he can accuse you enough, if he can weigh you down enough and remind you of those things enough, that he can cause you to be miserable, fruitless, sidelined. The book of Revelation is the very last book of the Bible, and it describes a lot of things that will happen in the end times when the church is ultimately joined to God, to Jesus, in eternal bliss, right, in heaven. And there's this scripture in Revelation 12.10 that is amazing because it kind of reveals a little secret that the enemy doesn't want you to know, but that he already knows. It says this, it says, Then I heard a triumphant voice in heaven procla pro proclaiming, Now salvation and power are set in place. And the kingdom reign of our God and the ruling authority of his anointed one are established. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who relentlessly accused them day and night before our God, has now been defeated, cast out once and for all. This is, this is the, the enemy's future. And he knows that if he could just keep at it with you, maybe he can get you. But we know that once and for all, Jesus already won. Jesus already conquered hell and death. So our challenge is what Paul's challenge was. 
I'm going to fasten my heart to the purpose, to the future, for what God has called me. And I'm going to forget what lies in my past. I'm going to let go of what lies in my past. And when that voice of the accuser comes to tell me, to remind me, to try and trick me into giving in to the guilt, to the shame, to the picking back up of these burdens, I'm going to be smarter than him. And I'm going to say no, and I'm going to walk out of this bondage. I'm going to walk out of this shame into freedom, the freedom that only can be found in the forgiveness of Jesus. Amen. The next portion that, you know, forgiveness of God, forgiving myself, letting myself up off the mat, right? And believing God's best for, for my life, for your life. Then we're challenged in this message of forgiveness as we build a church that's going to be a place for everyone, is to forgive others, to forgive others. Forgiveness in the Bible, the reason why we know it's a, it's a non-negotiable is because it is, in fact, a command. It's a command, and each and every one of us are faced with a decision to obey. See, sometimes as Americans that live in a democracy and we're so thankful for that, we think we have a choice on these things. We think we can check little boxes or come up to the buffet of God's goodness and just choose certain things for ourselves and leave other things aside. But when it comes to forgiveness, that's not the case. He is a king, and we are a part of his kingdom. And if you're going to be a true son and daughter of the king and be unquestionably free, forgiveness is a command that must be obeyed. He says this in Luke 6, 37. He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he commands it this way. He says, and when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others, so that, here it comes, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your Father withholds forgiveness from you. So somehow, God in his infinite wisdom has linked my personal forgiveness with my forgiveness of others. Not very fair in some of our cases and situations, right? Doesn't seem right. But here's the thing. God knows what's best. Anybody a parent here? Do you ever find yourself bribing your children to do things? Because you know what? Sometimes you're just tired. Let's face it. So you bribe them to do the things you know are good, right? You know they're best for them, and you know, but you make it, con- you know, you kind of connect it to maybe a reward or to a better, a, a privilege or some, like, great outcome for them to get them to do, you know, a couple things that they really need to do. Like, if you eat your broccoli, then you can have ice cream. I feel like that might cancel out. Does that cancel out? Is it, like in division when they flip it and then you cancel it. It's been a few years for me. That's my extent of math for this message. <laughs> but God is like, I'm not laying down on this one. I'm not going to negotiate this with you. I'm not going to come to some kind of compromise and allow you to hold on to any little thing because here's what God knows. Unforgiveness breeds bitterness. Bitterness eats at your soul, and, and you're never going to reach your full potential in God 
if you allow unforgiveness to live towards others inside your heart. If we're going to reach the, the purpose and the destiny and the goals that God has for us, Citizen Heights, in this time, in this day, in this hour, and reach the people that God has in this beautiful city, we have to be the church so full of the forgiveness of God, so aware that we must forgive ourselves and others and receive that forgiveness. We have to be those people. We have to be living it. We have to be walking it out. We know that forgiveness is no small thing, but in God, it is a, neg- it is a non-negotiable. He's not going to make a deal with you on this. He's not going to leave you to your own because he knows what's best. He wants us to cultivate a habit of forgiveness where each and every day we're obedient to say, okay, God, it isn't easy, but I today I choose forgiveness. Forgiveness brings health to your soul. If unforgiveness breeds resentment and resentment breeds, breeds bitterness and bitterness deteriorates the soul, let me tell you what forgiveness does. Forgiveness brings health to your soul. It brings room to grow. It takes limits off of you. But it is a daily thing, and it's in layers. Do you ever forgive someone? Like, really, come on, you make a decision, you forgive them. And then at the holidays, like, you see that person again, and you're like, dang, I thought I forgave them. But there it is. It pops back up sometimes. So you forgive again and again and again and again. And we're going to be that kind of church, that kind of church where, you know what, in two years, if you're new here, you don't have to leave in two years because in two years, we're going to be forgiving you still. We're still going to be forgiving one another. That's how my husband and I have made it 24 years in marriage. We are, it's not a negotiable. We forgive each other. You want longevity in your relationships? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And I believe that as we say yes to God, we tear down the plan of the enemy to rip us apart from the inside. Unforgiveness is a prison that I build for myself, inviting the people and the events of my past to come live with me right in that prison for free. That's what I do when I I say, nope, I'm holding on to this. Nope, I'm holding on to that. That's what you're doing. That's a hard word, but that's real. God wants you to be unquestionably free. And you're not unquestionably free until you can let go of those things. Forgiveness is no small thing. So we need to cultivate a habit. Gandhi said it this way, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is an act of the strong. So even as we're talking about this, be reminded that this amazing forgiveness that God is asking asking you to extend to others is only an extension of the incredible forgiveness that he has given you. You know, we can't love people until we experience the love of God ourselves. We can't really forgive others until we experience what we talked about at the beginning of this message is that the complete forgiveness of God ourselves. Forgive because he has forgiven you. Love because he loves you. Do it out of obedience to him. And even if you never get an apology for that pers- from that person, from that old place, from that past life, do it for God. But do it for your own destiny, for your own purpose, for your own health, your own soul. There's an amazing woman in history. Her name is um, Cory Tin Boom. And she was a Christian. She was born in the Netherlands and was alive at the, at the time when... Um, 
when, during the Holocaust. And it was, it's known because many of us have heard her story. If you've never read her, her book, The Hiding Place, she and her family saved like 800 Jews from being annihilated because they hid the, them in these little, this little back room in their house where they couldn't be detected. And they used her dad's business as a storefront kind of, kind of hiding what they were doing behind the scenes. But Corrie ten Boom is celebrated as this amazing hero. But if you really look at her life story, she experienced a lot of loss. A lot of things for someone who's serving God and making good choices and doing the right thing didn't seem quite fair. And I think sometimes we carry those things in life, those unanswered questions, and we really don't know how to resolve them. And we see in Corrie ten Boom's life that even as a young teenage girl, when she was most needing her mom, her mom passed away. And a couple years later, she had, like, her single opportunity, as she writes, you know, later on, she, she shares that her single opportunity to get married, it just kind of goes down in flames, basically. A disappointing, romantic situation. Anybody have one of those <laughs> ever in their life? Well, she found a way in her heart to forgive. And it goes on through her life, thing after thing, where eventually... Their, their, their hiding is uncovered. Her dad, her 84-year-old father, goes to jail where he dies. Her and her sister are shipped off to a concentration camp where her sister dies. She emerges from this concentration camp, the one and only survivor from this horrific, crazy set of years. She emerges with this bit of wisdom to share with us today. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. We're not talking about forgive and trust those people who hurt you. We're talking about trust the love of God enough to forgive and release and trust him with your future. Trust him that he will show you a way forward. I want to show you a story of one of our very own Citizen Heights family this morning that is going to challenge you and encourage you in forgiveness. Take a look. You see, I've always known that I was stupid and ugly and that my mother and the world would be a better place had I never been born. I knew this because I loved my mother and these are the words that she would tell me over and over again as she beat me. As a child, this drove me to hide under furniture, in closets, and sometimes even outside in the bushes, anywhere that I could feel invisible and protected. To this day, you would see inside that sliding closet door or under that furniture, you would see the words, Mama hates me. As an adult, the words changed, but the message was still the same. I carried these lies with me for years. I went to therapists. I learned new tools to help cope and to replace some of those lies with truth. Then I began to know Jesus, and I started seeing my mother through his eyes. The Bible says, honor your mother and your father. It doesn't say honor your mother and your father if they're good to you. It just says honor your mother and your father. Simple commandment, but oh, 
so complicated to put into action. I started taking my mother on little day trips, baby steps. When I was comfortable with that, I took her on some overnight trips. I even took her uh, to her very favorite place um, and we stayed in a suite where I spent a week's salary. I ordered flowers and the florist asked what to put on the card and I didn't know because it wasn't a celebration. I said, uh, put, I love you, mama, you're special. She didn't change. My heart changed. When she was in her later years, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, she's in a nursing home. Whenever I would come to town, I would visit her. I would bring her Italian music and big band music. Italian was her native language. And I would watch her fingers dance on the wall. I can imagine the soldiers she was dancing with during World War II. I even gave her a lifelike baby doll. And it was so sweet to watch her tenderly caress that baby's cheek, wiggle its little hand. I would tell her about my life in Indonesia. I don't know if she understood anything, but it didn't matter because it was, we were relating in the way we could, and it was special. Somewhere in there, I sat down with her and I said, Mama, I forgive you. She said, for what? I didn't do nothing my mother didn't do to me. And I said, well, you may not feel you need to be forgiven, but I need to forgive you. I know whose I am, and I know that I am loved. I have a community here at Citizen Heights full of life, love, and no judgment. I like that. Joel 2.25 reads, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. He has. God's timing is perfect and it's beautiful. I love Vicki's story. Her story is one of many, many, many within our community, our church community, where we see the forgiveness of God transforming us and changing us and causing us to be able to forgive ourselves, causing us to be able to leave the past behind, causing us to be able to extend that forgiveness towards others in our lives who have hurt us so deeply. Would you bow your heads with me this, mor this morning? I just want to pray as we close. God, I thank you that you're here in this room today. You see each and every one of us. You know our stories. You see the wounds of our past. You see the fears and the, the, the hopes that we hold in our hearts, God. You see the guilt and the shame that we carry for different things, God. And you know 
you know each of us right down to the very hairs on our head. God, I thank you that you're here in this moment to confirm your love for us. God, we thank you that you came and that you died, that you gave your life so that we could not in our own effort, but because of the blood of Jesus, receive this complete and perfect gift of forgiveness. Jesus, we ask even in this moment that you would continue to heal, continue to transform, continue that work that only you can do deep inside of the hearts of each and every one of us as we respond to this word, to this message, to Vicki's story, to the admonishment and the command in your word that we must forgive. In Jesus' name. I just, in a moment, am going to pray a prayer of salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus to come into your heart and to begin that relationship, that lifelong journey of understanding this gift of forgiveness, of walking in the perfect and beautiful love that God has offered to each and every one of us. It's free. And it's nothing that you can achieve on your own. You simply open your heart and say yes to him this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads one more time. And as I say this prayer, I'm going to ask for you to repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your blood. Wash me clean. Make me new. I want to live completely free. I want to walk in the purpose you have for me. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.